so like I was saying, you know, it's good that we're um, doing a little um, updated intro because we recorded back at the end of October, actually. Um, yeah. It's a really good interview. We talk about um, Dead Reckoning and, and this comic label that, that um, you, you really uh, spearheaded. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I wanted to get an update because really when, when we did the plug section of this episode, as the listeners will hear, um, it, w- things were still in process of being made yeah it's it might surprise a lot of people out there to know that launching an imprint is a huge endeavor and it takes a long time to do everything um when we were talking in october you were kind of putting the final touches on things that were coming out this fall 2018 yeah yeah correct and um so really since we've talked we've we've done a lot of stuff to make sure uh that we do have that we have an online presence it's still you know in its infancy we just still don't have books that aren't coming out until until the fall but we have to have something there and and from now until the fall um once we started at the beginning of the year we had a good sit down meeting and we're like okay well now we have to plan out literally everything that's going to be happening between now and, and September 15th when these books come out and then, you know, months afterwards. Right. So we've got, we've got a lot of our, you know, convention appearances kind of in the, in the works. Um, but we needed to make sure that when we start talking to people like you or anyone, we can actually tell them, make sure you go to this website, do this. So, right. so from now on, uh, I can point you to uh, deadreckoning.org. Uh, we are, since we're, we're an organization, we do have a .org website. And uh, right now, it's just a um, uh, it's just a sign-up sheet for, for getting our newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the full site should be coming in the next uh, couple of months or so when, when you're going to have the, the titles and everything listed out on there. Um, but the all, all four of the books are are up for pre-order now. Um, the Machete Squad, uh, The Stan, Trench Dogs, The Best of Don Winslow of the Navy. You can, you can find them on Amazon. You can find them on Barnes & Noble. You can go down to your local comic shop. You can get them uh, uh, or you can pre-order them. Um, so pretty much anywhere where you would buy a book, you can get pre-order for those now. Um, we're still talking to, to Diamond a little bit. So if uh, comic shops, will, they have like a unique code that, that you can use to, to buy them through Diamond. Um, so we're, we're still in the process of that one but you know if if you don't get it through a local comic shop if you just get it through a barnes and noble or or some down the down the street place you can you can say you know make mine dead reckoning and and i can get it for you awesome so that's not a problem awesome gary yeah. i'm so happy I'm, I'm i'm excited um uh just like i was on on the episode when mm-hmm. we were talking back in october i'm just excited to yeah. see this come to fruition and it's been you know four or five months now and and it's even you know it's 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 building right you're working on oh. stuff that's for next year right yeah absolutely um so you know the the, the publishing process is is a long one you you do it well far in advance so uh so yeah i'm 
I'm largely pretty much done except for like a handful of small things that we're doing for the fall books. Uh, we're, we're, fi- we're finalizing all of our, all of our deals and everything for, for spring 2019. I had to, I had to put together my list of, of everything that's coming out in spring 2019. It looks like we're going to have five titles for that. I can't tell you what they are yet, but we're going to have awesome. five titles coming out in the spring 2019 and uh we're gonna have well fall 2019 still a little bit far out to to give any anything too firm like we know we have at least we know we have two for sure that are that are absolutely like they're already pretty much done um and then there's a handful of others that are in that amorphous taking shape uh phase but um but 2019 is already already looking at the like okay we need to start buttoning up what's happening in 2019 so we can start thinking about 2020 that's just (laughs) that's just the 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 long tail of this whole thing so it's it's amazing how much uh, forethought and how much time you know lead up time this takes because i mean some people don't fathom that it takes you know months to kind of put all the deals and everything into into movement you know into uh, oh yeah the the pipeline that's pretty amazing yeah it's 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 not it's not a business for people who really crave instant satisfaction. <laughs> that's that's right. for sure. Right. Um, because, you, you know, even uh, even when you're dealing in, uh, and I think if a lot of your listeners are, are movie fans and everything, you know, like, you know, for a lot of the, for a lot of the comic creators out there, like when they think they're done, that's just like, you know, the end of of shooting well right. it's like well yeah well now we got to go into the now we got to go into the real part right, right <laughs> we got to go into the editing we got to go into the, the post-production stuff Absolutely. and that Absolutely. takes that takes a long time That's so you, you know we even think that we have a relatively short production period mm-hmm. at seven months and that's seven months yeah. <laughs> um yeah so well, Gary, uh, more to come. I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna talk again, uh, probably about this and see how it goes once uh, the launch is, is really official. But um, I yeah. think the listeners have a, a real treat to uh, to listen to today uh, with uh, kind of the origin story of, of how the label came together and mm-hmm. and uh, how you got involved. So absolutely, and I, I hope they enjoy it. And if they if they do, they want to know more. They can off- they can go again back to deadreckoning.org. You can sign up for our newsletter. We have a Twitter. Twitter, we have a Facebook, we have an Instagram, uh, and there's little buttons for that on the website too. So you know, click on over, uh, follow us, and we'll start pumping out information as soon as more information uh, it comes out. And uh, the next time I will be anywhere that anyone will be able to see me um, is at the Diamond Retailer Summit in Chicago. Um, and that is in the first week of April, and I'll also be at C2E2 that leads into that. Um, so, uh, what is it? April 3rd through 8th, I think. It, so, if you're in Chicago and you're going to C2E2, you'll probably you'll probably see me there. That's awesome. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it, man.
I assume you wanted me to come on here and talk about Curtis's opinions on Speed Racer. That's all. That's all. I think that we we set it up that uh, for those who don't know, Curtis has been on this show before, and we we did have a very uh, uh, incendiary, no, a very uh, <laughs> a very controversial, in some people's opinion, uh, um, a talk about Speed Racer. So Gary comes on to rebut this, right, <laughs> or or to support it, probably. No, we're going double down. <laughs> Talking about how great Speed Racer is. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah, I I think I came to uh, to appreciate that movie more after talking to uh, to Curtis about it. And you know, it's interesting because I, I I've known uh, you guys for a, a while, obviously um, from the way things worked out and kind of the the classes we took and everything. I was closer with Curtis, but I always yeah. knew you, Gary, and <laughs> and kind of your guys um, shared. Uh, passions, you know, your shared media passions and uh, yeah. a- anime and and um, and uh, uh, comic books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You guys, you guys share a lot of the same interest, right? Oh yeah, I mean, it comes from being twins. I would <laughs> when you're when you're together, and uh, unlike a lot of other twins, since Curtis and I were always the were each other's best friend style of twin, not right. the. I hate the other person right. <laughs> style of twin. We, you know, spend all of our time together. We we have very very similar <laughs> opinions and very similar tastes. So you know, what, what do you guys fight about? Do you ever fight about things? Oh, hardly ever. Yeah. God, hardly ever. And it's it's weird whenever we find something that we do <laughs> kind of disagree on, it, and it's it shows up out of nowhere. Nine times out of ten, like th- as, give me as an example, give me give me something. We we completely differ on on the mist, the movie, the mist. Okay, um, break that down for me. Who, who's who's the one who loves it? Who's the one that hates it? Curtis really likes it, and I think it's stupid. Oh no, oh no, <laughs> Gary, why'd you pick? Why'd you pick this movie? Why'd you pick this one? I know, I know. There's a lot of people that just love it, and. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty okay with it. I just I, you know, I don't hate it. I guess why that's a good point. That's the thing. You're I, indifferent, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Curtis is like, oh, it's it's good. He he gives it kind of like a good solid B, maybe a B plus kind of right. kind of a thing. I'm I'm very solidly. <laughs> it's a C movie. Right. I'm not going much higher than that. Right. Uh, I think the twist at the end is is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> The one that everybody gloms onto and says it's it's you know so uh, it's so mind blowing in more than it, one way. <laughs> no, no, yes, <laughs> no. I just, it, even in the theater when we were watching it, I was just like, oh god, are they just gonna at the, at this point now? Are they just gonna decide that they need to twist this knife even further right. for no? reason oh yep look they do oh right. there it goes again all right here we are this when you're is... at that that level of um complete paranoia and and bleakness can we go any lower than that yes oh. exactly yeah but you know that's good that's really great that you guys had someone to share these things with because i think you know when you have someone to bounce um uh your thoughts and your feelings off of i think that it it helps you kind of um explore the way you yeah. feel about it more, you know, that you can actually talk to someone about it and not just feel, okay, well, you know, I wish I had, you know, you didn't, you didn't have to go very far to find the community 
to talk oh, about yeah. that, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that doesn't really go over super hot with our significant others all the time. Because <laughs> we, we get out of a movie, and we want to start talking about right. it right away. Right. And we will start picking up all these things. And, uh, you know, Stephanie and Alexis uh, will sit there and just kind of look at each other and be like, oh, God, there they go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're on it again. They have to take the back seat to, uh, to your guys' obsession with it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, you guys um, moved to Maryland how long ago? Oh, geez. It was 1999, however okay. long ago that was. So, yeah, this was quite a, quite a while ago. And um, so what i what i try to chart in my knowledge of of you and and the family and then uh your new endeavor is kind of what is what is the timeline like where how did you get involved let's start with this how did you get involved with naval institute press how oh, that's it's it's a good question i don't necessarily know if it's terribly interesting of an answer but <laughs> <laughs> well it's um you know, we had the kind of unfortunate, uh, you know, it was in our stars to kind of graduate college right around when the recession right. was was coming about. So I I graduated just a little bit after Curtis did. I graduated in January of 2007, and I had a very brief period of time uh, actually working in publishing before the recession actually hit. Mm-hmm. And it was it was fun. It was exactly what I wanted to be doing. Uh, who can really say right out of college, even though it took a few months to find a job, that they can start doing what they want using their degree, right? right? I mean, that's that's the dream. You went to and, school for that? I, I, I didn't know that. Well, I went to – English literature was one of my two majors. It was English literature and Asian studies. Um and even though it's not a combination of both things, it was, it was um, the very first thing I did out of college was I worked at a place that made uh, textbooks. Gotcha. I was an edit- editor there, and they gave me a high school literature textbook to work on. And for the most part, what it was, was I was working on the teacher's edition of it, right. and they... Strangely enough, they, they, you know, the teacher's editions, you know, they have discussion questions on, on pieces that you have to read and they had questions, but they didn't have any answers. (laughs) And a lot of what my job was, was going through and reading all the stuff in these textbooks and seeing the questions and writing answers to them. Gotcha. Seeing if the, the (laughs) material supported the questions being asked. Yeah, and and I guess just providing whatever answer that I thought was best, like a, <laughs> a, a a a discussion about some sort of short story or something, and it would say, "Hey, what do you dis- what do you feel is the the meaning of of this symbol that the author uses at this point?" Uh, and I'd just be like, "Uh, there you go. There, that's that's what it means." Right. I, I'm a literature major. I can tell you that, and I hope someone else checked that thing. Not that I think I was ever really wrong, but you know, possibly some some kids in Florida and Texas, the big education textbook states, they uh, they're they're just straight up reading my answers to things. <laughs> were, were they were they solid? Uh, something that you could answer solidly, like there was an answer to them, or were they like open to interpretation, like you anyone? Know, 
Yeah, some of them were a bit more open to interpretation that I was terribly comfortable with, but they were still high school textbooks. Right. They weren't they weren't you know super in depth all the time, uh, so they were fairly. Some of them were fairly factual, right. uh, but. Uh, yeah, I was able to do that for only a few months, uh, six months, some seven months, something like that. And then the recession hit and they fired everyone. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, it was awful. And just like everyone, you bounced around for a while. I ended up working in public relations for for about five years. Wow. Um, that, that was That's good background. Well, yeah, it is. You you learn a lot of good skills there. You learn how to deal with lots of different people. You learn to t- take – basically one of the good things about it is they come to you with their interests and their goals, and it's your job to figure out how to achieve those things. Right. Um, and and that's that's a good thing, I think, for anyone to, to learn about um, because nine times out of ten when you get a job – you're not necessarily trying to achieve your goals all the time, even though you should have personal goals at your place of employment, but you're, they're tasking you with things and you need to find a way to accomplish them. Uh, And I don't particularly like public relations. (laughs) I was in it for five years because that's the place where I could get a job. Right. Um, But after a while, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted I didn't like my boss, um, and we kept coming to loggerheads over and over and over again. Uh, so I eventually just quit, <laughs> and thankfully, thankfully, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a person that I knew from years and years ago. Uh, she happened to be working in public relations too. I asked her if there was something that she knew of that I could um, that I could uh, do some some place that I could go. And even though she didn't have a place in public relations that she could, her mother worked at the Naval Institute and had for decades. And she said, well, you know, they're always looking for people. They have a book department. I know that's honestly, that's what you've always wanted to do. So why don't I put you in touch with her? And, you know, I found a they they had a position for me, a very, very low uh, position. It was just like an editorial assistant kind of a thing. Sure where I went in for, uh, God, maybe two or three days a week. Um, and that's, you know, filing contracts, filling out forms, right. things along the, that's the, nothing glamorous. The entry type shit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at that point I had been in the workforce for, you know, uh, probably at that point it had been about almost seven years. Right. And you don't want to do that entry stuff, but Definitely. damn it, I was going to do it. <laughs> Definitely. And I think that it's more beneficial to to you that it's in an area that you, you want to do. It would be way different if you were being asked to do more entry-level stuff in something, you know, just to make ends meet, you know. If your oh, passion yeah. is in it then, it, then you're willing to kind of forgive kind of where you have to start, where you have to begin yeah. with it. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is it's very interesting work. Um I I want to toot my own horn here a little bit that I apparently was the fastest person to ever go from being a part-time assistant to a full-time nice. <laughs> assistant uh, editorial assistant. Nice. Um 
and that was pretty awesome. But you know, it's it, it's the work ethic. You know, that's the thing that I come back to too because I've 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 gone through these phases that you're talking about. You know, uh, yeah. wanting to do something in in a, in a um, area that I was passionate about, but kind of getting pushed more into a project management, customer service type uh, uh, those mm-hmm. type of jobs, and yeah. then trying to find my way back to the things that I want to do, whether it's creative or not. And then when you get that opportunity, you like, you're so excited to jump on it. Finally, you know, to have that opportunity again in something that you might have, uh, untapped expertise in, and you want to kind of like fully explore that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, they, my, my boss at the time, uh, a man named Tom Cutler, he's a great, great guy. Um, and he early on saw that I really liked what I was doing. I had a good drive for it. And he was perfectly fine just saying, you know, here's, I know you can do more. So let me give you this and let me give you that. Um, and just see how, see how it came back. Uh, and I was able to not only just do this small stuff like, uh, you know, file or uh, type out this contract or file this paperwork, I was able to do more, more things that require a bit more skill, a bit more, um, you know, intuition, I suppose. Um, I made his life a lot easier so that he could focus on doing the things that were more appropriate for him, yep. which I know he loved. Oh, that's and, appreciative. I'm sure, I'm sure he appreciated that. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, then I got to learn a whole bunch of new stuff. It was, it was phenomenal. So Naval Institute Press, for those who don't know, I think uh, you know, there's, there's some flagship books that they're known for, Hunt for Red October for one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple others. What, what other ones? Um, Flight of the well, Intruder? Yeah, Flight of the Intruder uh, is, a, is another big main one. And I think those are the two probably the biggest ones that most people would know about because they're fiction. Uh, Hunt for October was the first fiction book the Naval Institute ever put out. Um, and because primarily up until that point in the 80s when they did, it was uh, you know, professionally focused books. Yes, like right. Like how, how do you become a better – uh, a better officer in the Navy. How do you achieve different ranks? How do you do all this other kind of stuff? And one of the flagship books that we still put out every year is a book called the Blue Jackets Manual. And if you ever go into the Navy, if you you know enlist, uh, or I think even officers get it, but I'm pretty, all the enlisted people get it. It's just basically here's a book that's all the information that you know, the rudimentary information on being a sailor. Right. Everything from you know what your uniform is supposed to look like, how you read these, how you read the patches on the sides of the sleeves, right. to how to tie knots, how to identify planes, things like that. And that's that's something that we still to this day. Uh, and it came, started coming out in 1902, um, and still put out uh, every every not every year, but we still we still print them. Every single person that joins the Navy still gets a copy. Did, so. did you do any military service, Gary? No, not me. Uh, my grandfather was in the Army, and for the longest time, that was my intent. I, I, I very much idolized my grandfather and thought forever that I was going to go into the Army mm-hmm. when I got old enough. Um, and then I think like a lot of teenagers, I realized I do not react terribly well to authority telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> there you go. Well, here's my thing. So this book that you put out annually is this? Is this? How, how did you gain the knowledge that you have? I, I'm guessing to support not only explaining to uh, publishers, writers, and and potential customers, mm-hmm. um, you know the the type of uh, books you guys put out and the type of material you guys are experts in. So you know, are you reading this this same book that comes out and kind of like being able to speak with some sort of uh, uh, knowledge about it? Uh, oh, I, I learn more and more every day. <laughs> One of the very first books that uh, Tom gave me, because he knew that I didn't have, I didn't serve in the military, I didn't have any of that experience. And that's that's fine. I mean, we have plenty of people at that institute that are subject matter experts. They've they've served in the Navy, they've served in the Army, they've served in the Air Force, mm-hmm. but plenty of others who haven't done anything like that. Right. And uh, one of the first books that Tom gave me was um, the, what is it called? The Civilian's Guide to the U.S. Navy. Uh, so you can know a bit more about how all this stuff works. Gotcha. And it's kind of just, like for the, la- for the layman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you pick it up uh, over time. Uh, certainly, sometimes I would get phone calls from guys who wanted to, wanted to pitch a book. And they would start off by rambling off some sort of uh, some sort of facet of history that I think even even experts would would be like, huh? What are you talking about? And they'd be like, oh, I don't need to explain this to you because I know you're an expert on it. And I'd be like, uh, sh- sure, uh, <laughs> uh, just just tell me why you think your book is is worthwhile, right. um, because it's it is an interesting subset of two different kind of knowledge bases that that. Um, you can rely on when you're dealing with publishing. There's right. there's the absolute subject matter expertise. Like I know all the little nuts and bolts of of what this person is talking about. Mm-hmm. And then there's just the general publishing and audience expertise, which is even if I don't know a damn thing about what this book actually means in the long run, I know there are people who like this book, right. who would like it. I know the people who would buy it. And I know what I need to do to make sure that it comes out the best way that it can so that those people would appreciate it and so that they would find some sort of insight into it. And you don't necessarily always want to rely on just one or the other. You have to have a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's a matter of usually just determining where you're at on that particular project and then doing what you need to make sure that you can, you can speak uh, intelligently about it and and do what needs to be done to make sure that you do have a good product in right. the end. So you benefit from also being a type of personality. Uh, I think of myself this way as being someone who's very much into to history. You know these things that we kind of like. You know, my dad was was older than a lot of my uh, friends. He was um, uh, friends' parents. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, he was definitely of uh, of another generation. He was big into to, you know, American history, Civil War history, World War II history. So yeah. just living through World War II and, and the way that uh, and, and kind of that uh, that uh, post, you know, the Cold War, the Cold War um, uh, years of, of the United States, he was a history buff. So mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of rubbed off on me, too, in my interest as I was growing up. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel that there's a good number of people out there who, even if they aren't uh, super into a particular topic. There's a lot of people uh, our age and who had similar kind of upbringings who are just intellectually curious. Yeah. Even if it's not something that you know a ton about, if someone just 
gives you kind of a prompt and and you can easily latch on to it and be like, oh, that's very interesting. Like, mm-hmm. what, why, why is it that way and not this way kind of a thing? And you can easily start to ferret down into the details right. um, uh, because a lot of times there are plenty of things out there that are just very just interesting on the surface. And um, the more that you dig down into them, you just keep filling up these more, uh, more and more like tidbits of very, mm-hmm. uh, very cool kind of things that you find out. Right. With the Asian studies background, like for me, as an outsider looking in, I always thought that your leaning was more to that and and being such a uh, an ultra fan of manga and, and like an anime like i said earlier so yeah when this you know we're, we're about to talk about how this new imprint this new endeavor of yours came about like was that at the the front of your brain when you were kind of pursuing this when when it was you know uh, a seed of an idea uh mm-hmm. trying to work your your love of of comic books of of graphic novels into into what you're doing at naval institute press uh yes 100 (laughs) percent. really just across the board well that's great i mean like so we're we're talking about dark wreck not dark reckoning dead reckoning um which is your new graphic novel imprint at Mm -hmm. naval institute press right yes and and was this was this your baby yes this is this is 100 percent my child um it's um, uh, obviously we have tons of people in the office who are who are assisting me and helping me out, like uh, you know the production people who are the ones who actually take the files and make a book out of it, and the marketing people. Um, but as far as the editorial um, administrative stuff going on, this is pretty much all me at the moment. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a ton of responsibility. It's a ton of uh, well. Well, yeah, okay, I'll stick with that. It's a ton of responsibility, but it's also a lot of fun. At the same time, it was um, it was kind of born almost out of out of a joke, uh, really, because like I told you, like I I once I got at the Naval Institute, I I think I did a, a good job, and everyone seemed to agree, and they were they wanted to start throwing a few projects my way to see if I, I liked them and, and if I could make them uh, come to fruition and they could be successful. And the first thing that I acquired there entirely on my own was a book of uh, poetry, which they had never really done before. They, they had, they had done like collections of old sea poem kind of things, but mm-hmm. never like an actual original book of poetry. And this, this woman named Victoria Kelly, she, she submitted it uh, completely um, uh, slush pile kind of submission and it said, Hey, I know you guys have never really done this before. Mm-hmm. I understand you pretty much wouldn't, you probably wouldn't want to do this because you haven't, but I feel this is the best place for my stuff to go. And when I read it, I said, this is actually, this is really good. This mm-hmm. is, she's a very, very good poet. And it is our kind of uh, topic because she's the, she's the wife of, wife of a naval aviator. And a lot of those poems were about what it is to be a wife of a navi- naval aviator, like living with the uncertainty of whether or not your husband's going to come home right. and things like that. Um, so they looked at it as a good test case for me to see if, uh, since it was kind of unique and it was uh, interesting, they just said, go ahead, give it a shot, uh, see if you can do it. And 
well, I did. And it, it turned out really well. It, it's, you know, it's poetry. It's not like it blew up the, the sales charts right, or anything right, right. like that. But it sold well for what it was. Um, and we were very happy with, with the outcome. And uh, since he is a good boss, my, my, the press director, uh, Rick Russell, uh, at some point was talking to me uh, and about my professional future and just kind of said, so you've done the book of poetry. And at that point I was also acquiring a, a novel. Uh, and he's like, so you've done that and you're, you're working on this novel now. And he just asked me, you know, where do you see yourself? What do you see yourself doing now? Like, what would you be interested in doing? And, uh, you know, I took maybe a beat to think about it. But like I said, it was like very much on the forefront of my mind. Um, I just said, I would love to do a graphic novel. And thinking that he would think it was outrageous, <laughs> right? So I was thinking he was going to be like, okay, tell me what you really want to do <laughs> kind of a thing. But he took it seriously. And uh, we just so happened to have had a person several years ago that had submitted one. Uh, submitted a graphic novel to the Naval Institute, but no one there at the time knew what to do with it. It right. just kind of sat around, and and uh, I, I, I guess with this, you know, I get. I guess what with the 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 book of poetry, and then that that mm -hmm. makes me think about branding. Like constantly, yeah. people talk about what 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 do you fit into? What sector do you fit into? What pigeonhole do you fit into? And I guess the the bottom line um uh mission statement of the Naval Institute Press is one thing, but mm -hmm. it's constantly I guess especially when you're talking about bringing on new readers, new uh, um, uh, uh, a new base, a new fan base, mm -hmm. that you have to constantly change with the time. So you can't just stay in the same mission statement that you did in in uh, the most of the uh, um, 19th and 20th century. You have to start doing fiction books in the 80s. You can't yeah. stay in it just with doing military uh, uh, spy adventure through that point. You have to kind of like branch out to get like you said people that are in their 20s and 30s so is mm -hmm. that is that the interest there that he's like seeing that you're a young guy that you might have an idea of, of something a, a way to branch out the the uh the, the press label absolutely you got it right in one um because that's that is something i mean uh every business is always looking to try and find a way to expand the naval institute is no different even though it is you know institute and it's a nonprofit um it, we we do have that solid kind of professional um professional side where we are always doing things that are in service of naval professionals and people who are interested in that kind of thing right um but we, at the same time, have to be looking at ways in which we can expand, have to be looking at ways in which we can bring in new readers and, and go to people where they're at. 
And does the does the baseline mission statement change at all, or has it changed? Because like I look at Action and Gogo, which happens to be a website that mm-hmm. we that we publish this podcast to, and Action and Gogo went from being you know kind of just just like 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 action oriented stuff, so it always mm-hmm. kind of got a male audience to being more kind of like you know trying to stretch that that mission statement to inc- mm-hmm. be more inclusive to people of color, to women, and everything, you yeah. know. So how does that mission statement for Naval Institute Press, how does that widen? It's uh, the mission statement, like the actual official mission statement always stays the same. But there are there are tons of of small little facets that help feed into it. Right. Now, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but the 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 specific mission statement is is, you know, for for people who dare to read and think uh, about uh, global security and national interests right. and and all that kind of stuff, um, but when you start to when you stop looking at it as like an ironclad, mm-hmm. this is the specific parameters of exactly what that is. If we were if you were to interpret the mission statement exactly that way, it would be probably nothing but Proceedings Magazine, which we do, which is right. the the uh, the daily kind of discussion about how the Navy operates and all that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. the professional books, but when you look at the the small little facets of what can feed into that mission statement, that's when you start to get things that are a bit more varied, a bit more diverse. Then you start to get things like you can't have people thinking about how national security operates if they don't know the basics of what the military is. Sure. You, you can't have people thinking about the specifics of the pros and cons of the way that the Navy operates if they don't know literally anything about the Navy. So if you bring people in about history and history is a kind of a component of the, of the, of the mission statement, uh, you can bring people in a lot of ways. You can tell them that uh, you can tell them just a good story. And then they may just be like, like, you know, your father, uh, my my girlfriend's father, lots of our grandfathers sure. who just love military history and they they know more about it. Uh, like it, it's just uh, even with fictional stories, you can get people interested in the real world with with things and they can learn more about it. Sure. And the, and all the ways that you can attack that are you can publish novels, you can publish novels from veterans, you can publish poetry, and now it's you can publish graphic novels, right. and. And you're right. Just like uh, the 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 demographic that you have out there for people who really like military history stuff is a is a very white audience. Right. It's a very old audience, right. and it's a very male audience. Sure. And it, you know, everyone can look at that and just say this is a very this is not a diverse you know audience necessarily. Right. But if you look at the people who actually serve in the military, it still is primarily male. But there's lots of women that serve in the military. There's lots of uh, obviously very young people who serve in the military mm-hmm. and people from all different ethnic uh, backgrounds. Right. And the more that we can do to appeal to people who are or rather let me back up and just say, when you look at the people who actually are joining the military right now and you look at the similar demographics in publishing, right. the closest thing that you can find out there are graphic novels and YA novels and things yeah. like that. 
Yeah, the thing is, that's absolutely right. And I feel like as I'm thinking about this, and obviously th- there's there's staunch tradition with it, you know, and we kind of, mm-hmm. kind of talk about this. I saw in, uh, in a recent interview that you did at uh, New York Comic Con that you were making it uh, making a point about the actual label and how it has to be inclusive in a way, you know, yes. that the the label cannot just be conservative set in the past. It, it, it can't wholly get rid of that and, and be progressive and, and, you know, kind of lean towards, uh, you know, more of a liberal uh, outlook. But at the same mm-hmm. time, like you have to find a way to mix that together, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, I think um, uh, this is something that kind of sits in the back of my head a lot, but especially for people our age um, who kind of got to or who were of the age to join the military kind of around when the Iraq war happened. I think there was a there was a huge kind of confluence of politicization politicization of the military itself right. people who don't like the military industrial complex mm-hmm. and and uh i mean hell i agree with it <laughs> i don't really like the military industrial the, complex the naval institute yeah. press is not connected to the government is another correct thing you, you wanted to yeah. make a point of right yeah yeah it's it's a non-profit it's completely on it's it's completely own thing right. um but you know, I think there's there's still kind of this vestige out there. People who, when they th- sometimes when people think of the military, they think of uh, they think of the complex, they think of the politicization sure. of it. And for us at the institute, it, it you know we're not going to deny the reality that those things are out there. But when it comes right down to it, for us, we care about the people who serve. Right. And and when you talk to the people who serve, that's a completely different ball game. That's that there's plenty of people out there who are very conservative. Uh, there are plenty of people in the military who are very liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, and what comes, what kind of binds them all together is, is a love of country right. and, and that desire to serve. Right. Uh, and that's what we are mostly focused on. Gotcha. Um, so, so yeah, when I think of the comics that we can put out with dead reckoning, I mean, we still want to serve the the military history. We still want to we still want to tell good stories, but at the same time, I want to make sure that the people who serve see themselves in those books as well. Right. Uh, yeah. That graphic novel that you were talking about that that was submitted but never came to fruition. Did that did, is that part of the the new label? Or is that a kickoff at all? It is. It's it's still in there, but it's just a very very different book than it was when it was originally submitted. Um, since there was so much time that between when it originally came through and and now, um, it, it completely changed uh, over. The concept is still there, but the book itself is 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 a hundred percent different. So. Right. So yeah. tell me about the the material that that you lead with. So you you're you, you have this idea. Someone is is asking you. Your boss is asking you. How what would you want to do for your for your professional future? Um, wh- how, how does how does that what is that what is that process of getting that up and running? Was it a simple you know it was of a few months or did you have to come up with? I'm, I imagine you had to come up with yeah. some sort of plan. Of execution, uh, yeah, um, it was a long, very difficult process <laughs> um, because 
it it started with the possibility of just doing that one book. I don't think anyone was like immediate. No one immediately said we're going to start a new imprint here. They just said, okay, great. This is another good thing that we can start giving a shot and trying it out. And uh, you know, I talked to the I talked to the original creator of that once they submitted, and they said, oh, well, you know, it's very different, but we can still try and figure something out here. And and so we started looking at one. And he, at the time, said, we also have this other project that I think you would you would find very interesting. And all of a sudden, I'm standing here with, with two projects. And I go and I kind of discuss that with the press director. He said, oh, well, that's pretty interesting, too. And, and then we just started talking about how the comics publishing world is different from the traditional publishing world, um, things that they're not necessarily familiar with because you know why why would they be um but i i know a decent enough uh uh, stuff about and the more we kind of started talking about it i started telling them about how there's plenty of publishers who over the years have have gotten into the the graphic novel game and they've put out you know one book two books um and no one really knows who they are. Mm-hmm. No one really knows what to expect from them next. And they pretty much just die on the vine. You know, they're around for a year or two or something, and then you never hear from them again. Um, because why would anyone – people like consistency. People sure. like seeing things come out in a certain particular pattern. Um, and when you've got this book that comes out of nowhere and may or may not have a uh, uh, some sort of follow-up afterwards, then, you know, why, why would anyone care? Right. Um, so yeah, they, uh, the more we started talking about that, the more the, the idea started to snowball a little bit. And I started pulling together numbers and figures, sales figures, um, putting together kind of cost estimates and profit and loss estimates for, for what us doing more than one book would look like, right. uh, two or three books, something along those lines. And the more we started talking about it, the more it just started making sense that we should just keep doing more of these. Right. Um, when you look at how much uh, graphic novels sell, they're, they're on a sig- significantly upward trajectory. And they're on a growth pattern that, is not really seen elsewhere in publishing. Mm. Um, the only thing you really can compare it to is young adult novels. Young adult novels, I think, are still well. I don't know. I couldn't say. It. Never mind. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but young adult novels are are also huge. Sure. Graphic novels are huge. Um, and again, when you when you look at how much uh, how much of the how many of these factors kind of play into things, you've got a growth market. You've got um, a, a number of people who we're starting to talk to who are very interested in the idea of doing like a military history book. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at the demographics of the people who buy those books, and you're looking right. at the demographics of the people who serve that we actually want to try and get more right. people reading. Right. And and all of these all of these elements just start to mesh, and they all start to kind of come together. And um, you know, at, also at the time we had our. Um, our marketing manager, um, who was a woman who's had you know decades and decades of experience doing marketing, uh, she she was uh, involved with Harry Potter at the very beginning. She's one of the people that helped make Harry Potter big in America, um, and just a simple kind of marketing thing. She was like, "Why would you go to a 
go to a bookstore and say, hey, here's this one book from from me who you've never heard of before. Um, carry it in your shop. Uh, like they don't get a lot of confidence out of that. Sure. Why can't we go to them and say, here's a stack of books from me and here's what we have planned to come out next in the next few months. Right. Carry this. Uh, and she's like, that will work a lot better. Right. So kind of from that baseline, we just started deciding, well, what are we going to do now? How do we make this happen? And then taking it from there. Was there a moment that you can remember uh, where you really thought this was taking off and becoming bigger than you were, you know, the original seed of the idea, the real successful like moment where it just started, you know, the avalanche started happening. (laughs) Um, I was in a meeting and we were starting to kind of talk about this possibility of, of more than just two or three or something. And I think even in that particular meeting, you could easily start to see those, those gears coming together. Like I was saying, and my boss kind of looked at me and said, is there any way you think you can contract like nine or 10 of these? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, uh, when the blood came back to my head, (laughs) I was just, I thought, uh, Oh, this is, this is serious. (laughs) It's a dream come true, man. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. Let me ask you on a side note, are any of these books, did they start as, as pitches for just regular nonfiction, uh, uh, written books that became graphic novels or did they all start as, as graphic novel ideas? Uh, well, they, for the most part, they all started as graphic novel ideas. Right. The the one that is the exception here is that um, we do want to put out graphic novel adaptations of books that we've already published gotcha. or gotcha. books that are already out there. Right. And uh, the one of those is is the Bridget Don Ha, uh, and that was kind of a very early. Uh, a very early kind of slam dunk for us. We just said, you know, we love that book. We love that story. Right. It's um, about Vietnam, right? Yes. Yeah. It's the Vietnam, Vietnam book about John Ripley. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very close to the Ripley family. Uh, Mary Ripley, uh, works at the Naval Institute, John Ripley's daughter. Yes. Um, and, and so we just said, let's, let's see if we can get an adaptation of that. And somehow that all fell into place very quickly <laughs> and it's been it's been great since but everything else has been just originally original graphic novel material right so um the ones that you were able to compile give me give me some mm-hmm. ideas of of what we have coming down the pike cuz this is this is not um uh really launching until next year right yeah yeah correct yeah we just did the uh, the the imprint announcement now but the the first five books are all coming out at once, and they're uh, late September uh, is when they're supposed to start coming out. Um, but yeah, so we have five books. Um, so there's the Bridge Don Ha, which I just talked about, um, and there's another one uh, that's another kind of outlier seeming book, but it's it's a reprint of old of old World War II comics, mm-hmm. and uh, this is another thing that kind of early on fed into us, where um, one of our one of the other people at the institute kept saying that when he talked to a number of uh, veterans, a number of kind of uh, not World War II veterans, but people that joined shortly afterwards, people that may have fought in Korea or mm-hmm. something, they they talked about how much they loved this one comic book called right. Don Winslow of the Navy, right, and 
that's that's an old World War II era comic that that uh, was, if I recall, even it was even sanctioned by the Navy. Uh, they had a they had a person that that looked over things and just kind of gave them their their approval. Right. But it was it was typical. It was very kind of propagandic in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but it did but, it know. did did recruitment for them, right? <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's the kind of stuff where you know. Hey, Don Winslow, he's out at sea. What's that on the horizon? Oh no, it's an island full of Japs. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> and uh, it, you know, it's that kind of stuff. It, yeah. It's your typical kind of uh, pulp serial adventure right. uh, kind of a thing. Um, but they told some actually very neat, very interesting stories. It's a cool little remnant of history. Yeah. Ob- uh, obviously, it's the kind of book that at the very beginning of it, we're going to have a disclaimer sure, <laughs> at the sure. beginning. Um, it's it's not like overtly racist, but it is very much of its time. Yes, of um, its time, exactly. So so yeah, I mean that's but it's still it's still a book that is near and dear to the hearts of a lot of people when they were kind of growing up sure. around then. Sure, uh, and that's the thing, you know, you, like we talked earlier, you know, kind of trying to find that bridge between the original thing that kind of brought in, you know, the the tra- the traditional readers versus, yeah. you know, how do you how do you make a more progressive stance? Because I mean, you are you are uh, bringing on uh, female writers now too mm-hmm. that are yeah. also part of the imprint. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, and you know, there's there are certain considerations that we have in mind where we also we definitely want to appeal to the traditional kind of comic and graphic novel sure. audience, but we we still want to hold true to what we think makes us unique. Um, you know, this is we still haven't we're still kind of going over and, and finalizing like the cover for what Don Winslow is going to look like, um, but uh, we're we're doing that in con- in conjunction with a man named Craig Yo of Yo Books who does lots of books for IDW and things that uh, he takes a lot of he takes a lot of old pulp books a lot of like EC comics a lot of a lot of things like that a lot of horror comics specifically nice. and uh, he he and his wife and his team will will um, uh, digitally enhance them some, so they'll they'll go off of like old scans and things, and they'll make them they'll make them look nice, and they'll make them look pretty, and they'll put out these nice kind of collections of of those books. Right. And when we were just initially talking about like what kind of cover we would like to see, uh, Craig um, has a lot of experience here, and he was like I, he really pushed for this one cover in particular that was that was um, uh, post World War II. It was at the point when. Don Winslow had kind of lost his purpose for being because the war was over. And so he started having more standard pulp adventures where, you know, he's fighting, you know, I don't know, giant sea creatures (laughs) and pirates and stuff. And one of his main antagonists was this pirate woman named Singapore Sal. Um, Like how pulpy can you get Singapore Sal? But um, there's a great cover of Don Winslow tied up to the, to the mast of a ship and, um, uh, and Singapore Sal at the, at the side with a gun and, and pointing it at him. And it's this great, great pulp cover that has a lot of those elements that you used to see back in the right. you know, late forties. Um, but and very just, evocative of, of an imprint that's, that's so military and naval based. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time we were like, <laughs> that's a bit too cartoony. There's so many, there's so many other ones that are a bit more, a bit more military focused. Sure. And, and he was like, yeah, well you're right. He's like, I just really, 
it would be great if we could do this. And I said, Craig, I agree with you. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. But I think there's other options that we have that I think fit us a little bit better. And so that's that's kind of one of those, you know, one of those compromises that I think you, you make when you're trying to do something uh, that that fits into a, fits into something that already exists, but still kind of take your own way right. for it. So. I was also thinking, you know, we're, you're talking about the people in their 20s and 30s, millennials mm-hmm. even, that are kind of like attracted to this material. And, and it's got to be beneficial, too, that we're having, you know, <clears throat> Ken Burns' Vietnam documentary. We're having yeah. these these certain uh, resurgences and interest in, in past wars um, that, mm-hmm. not to make them cool again, but the interest in kind of reevaluating their importance to to, to our socio-political co- uh, climate is definitely, mm. uh, you know, at an all-time high, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. So it's beneficial for you, too. Yeah, and and uh, I, I actually, I'm really upset that I haven't had a chance to oh, watch any of that. It's so, it's <laughs> yeah. So, for being I, a little history buff that, that I am and, and loving Vietnam, uh, you know, Vietnam as it's depicted, not just in, in film and in, in fiction, but seeing, you know, those, uh, seeing and hearing those stories is, is indelible. It's like, it's invaluable to kind of not just your appreciation because I mean, you yourself, you know, knowing that Mm -hmm. you, you went to Japan and how you've, uh, studied kind of, um, the Japanese spirit and the people post World War II and Mm -hmm. especially after the bomb and everything you have to have a perspective on the people that that your country you know bombed or it with vietnam the the country and the people that that your people either uh exploited or fought um not to put the the united states down in any way I, i have a lot of appreciation for for the history and the and the men and women who serve but you know when you talk about historically there's this this thing of always making these Asian countries and these Asian people the other, especially mm-hmm. in Vietnam and in World War Two. So, you know, wh- knowing where you come from, I know that you would probably appreciate it even more to see that the these things and and um, these these battles, these these time periods are being reevaluated by people of our age. Yeah, and, and you know, it's I, I'm probably at this point waiting for the for the Blu-ray set to come out so I can just sure. kind of watch it in a go but i you know my uh, tom cutler who i mentioned earlier my one of my old bosses he he fought in vietnam for uh, for a good long while right. and uh he wrote he wrote a book that's actually uh in the bibliography for the vietnam documentary gotcha. he got to meet ken burns not too long ago um which i guess a nice little interesting side bit that i think you probably find interesting is that um just before they premiered the, the Vietnam documentary, Ken Burns and his uh, co-creator, um, who I can never Lynn. remember her name. Yeah. Yes, Lynn. Lynn, I forgot uh, her last name. Uh, she, uh, they came to the to the Naval Academy, which is where our offices right. are, and they uh, they had a dinner with the superintendent, and they invited a nice select group of people, including my boss Tom Cutler, <laughs> to come and have That's dinner right. with with them and discuss. Well, discuss everything, discuss the the documentary and everything. And then shortly afterwards, they went and they watched a quick little preview that had been cut together for them uh, a bit like a, I think it, he said it was an hour, an hour long, but it wasn't a single episode. It right. was it was like highlights from the right. entire series. Right. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, but because Tom's book, uh, 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 Brown Water Black Berets, was was a book that that he referenced gotcha. when in doing it, they wanted right. to make sure that he was in there for it. But uh, but everyone that I know that's seen it has has come away very it's, very impressed. It's um, incredibly moving, you know. It's yeah. incredibly moving. And and to get back to the the graphic novels that you mm-hmm. would probably put in this imprint, it's not just like you say, pulp pulpy adventure i'm sure that there's yeah. you know real character stuff real emotion real stories being told just in a graphic yeah. novel medium mm-hmm. yeah and even if with the, with the bridge of don hostens that is a vietnam book mm-hmm. um you know there there's there are two there's two americans in that book it's john ripley and another man who was another covan at the time but everyone else in there is is a member of the south vietnamese army right um and you know, for for a lot of people, uh, if you if you're not terribly familiar with with how how these uh, conflicts went down, um, you you do look at these kind of like the racial politics that, that went into the war itself, and and that's that's very much like a, a macro approach to to looking on it. I mean, it's certainly something that needs to be to be looked at and analyzed and and scrutinized. Um, for a lot of the guys on the ground, I mean, these were, these weren't people that they hated. These were their, you know, their soldiers in arms, <laughs> you know, they were fighting next to each other. They right. were dying next to each other. They, they owe each other their lives. Right. So, um, you know, they have, they have strong connections to those people that they served with. And the, those, the, the toll on the South Vietnamese was mm-hmm. stupendous. Oh during yeah. That war. Um, what else? What other uh, titles do we have to look forward to in this first, uh, the first wave? Okay, so the um, so the two other two other ones. Um, there's three more, but uh, there's there's one called The Stand, which is an anthology, and uh, that is based on reporting from uh, David Axe and Kevin Nodell, who run a blog called excuse me, uh, war is boring. And, uh, over the years they, they interviewed a number of people who served in Afghanistan just to kind of get interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Some of them good stories, heartwarming stories, others, uh, very, very bad, <laughs> um, uh, about their time serving there. Um, and that's, that's a very interesting book. I, I, I'm very happy with the way that came out. That one is the, is the kind of predecessor for the original book that we first kind of talked about. Right. Um, it was still called the stand. It was still the same idea, but um, I think maybe it was it was in its very infancy when he first pitched it to us. And then I think five years went by before I went and talked to David uh, David Axe again and brought it up. And uh, when that happened, it it, it just just it had snowballed into something very sure. very different. Sure. Um, uh, at, uh, another one is called the Machete Squad, which is uh, about a about a man who had served in Iraq and had got a, a, a decent amount of PTSD while in Iraq. Um, he's a medic and he dealt with uh, a number of uh, uh, injured children in Iraq. And he, it's about his time going to Afghanistan mm. and being a medic in Afghanistan as well, but still doing fairly similar stuff. Uh, he, he deals primarily with people who step on IEDs and they go on, they go on patrols and, and uh, you're just helping out, in, in and around there that's scary. That, that's scary stuff oh yeah oh yeah and and there's uh there's something that i kind of had to uh, at the beginning uh 
educate everyone else on at the institute because again they're they're not super familiar with with comics and how they work and um uh, and well things like that but they they've they've come a very long way in these last few years um and for for a lot of the people who are are high up at the institute but not necessarily hands-on in this particular imprint you know when they think of comic books they they want things to be kind of these these like um, Joe Kubert, Sergeant Rock, big sure. uh, muscle man kind of, of uh, things. Um, but I just tell them that's not necessarily what you want in in your books today. It's like that. That's it's always having something look exactly the same is just really just boring. I mean, there's certain books that that is exactly what you need. Um, but you really need to let the the art style reflect the kind of story that's being told, right. and you know that's that's a very basic tenet of of comic books, and it's uh, and I also at the same time I didn't want to impose a house style right. on people. Right. I, I, yeah, um, you know I want people to come and pitch us books that they feel can be you know, authentically theirs. They didn't want to have to like completely change everything about it and or the way they draw. So uh, a lot of these books have very very different uh, art styles to them. And when you see the way that uh, the Machete Squad looks, I don't think it is the first thing that you would think of when you think of this is a memoir of a guy. Because actually, this is a this is is a memoir. Like this is the memoir of a guy who served in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and had PTSD serving kids. It's very loose. It's very expressive. Um, but that means that you know you you get a pretty good. Since it's such a character-focused piece, right. I, I really like that loose line, that that kind of expressive quality, because that means you you care about those characters. Yeah. And then you know when people uh, get riddled with bullets, then <laughs> it's pretty horrific. It's sure. pretty terrifying. Sure. Um, and I think you could still kind of get that with that old kind of Sergeant Rock style art style, but right. I don't think it's the same. And. Right. Uh, so I think that, that's what you benefit from too, and I love the fact that you're willing to to let each thing have its own, not only style but its own, you know, uh, uh, feeling about it. Because, like you said, that house style. If you were to subject, you know, everything that has the Dead Reckoning imprint on it, has to be has to look like this, ha- has to yeah. feel like this. Then all of a sudden, that sameness is going to become, like you said, boring. It's going to be, you know, predictable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I just you know I don't I don't want to be pigeonholed in that way. Yes. There's there's a lot of things I just don't want to be pigeonholed on. I want I want this to be a flourishing, right? Uh, you you living imprint that can that can change, it can adapt, and it can take on different kinds of projects. That's awesome. Um, and I think that I at least I, maybe not artfully, but at least somewhat segues me into the last of the five books that we have that are coming out um, in the in the first wave. And that's uh, Trench Dogs, which I, I talked about uh, at least somewhat in, in depth in another in the other interview that you mentioned. But um, it's a great indie title, and I love indie comics. Yeah. <laughs> I I love love indie comics. Um, and well, explain that for someone who who doesn't know. You know, uh, what is it? How are you defining an indie comic? 
Yeah. Well, you, you primarily, for a lot of comic books out there, you, you obviously you have the big two. You have your Marvels, your DCs, and you've got you know Image and a couple of other things out there um, that put out their weekly comics and your, your major properties, your Spider-Man, Thor, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, indie comics would be more along the lines of like a Fantagraphics or First Second or something. And these are graphic novels that are graphic novels or comic books that, that primarily um, they're, they're very idiosyncratic. Right. Um, they, they tell interesting stories. They, they tell them in a very unique way and they don't necessarily care. Uh, I don't want to say that. actually that's, they don't have that house style that they're, they're beholden to. Right. So, so they are very much in the in the vein of making sure those artists can flourish and mm-hmm. do what they what they need, um, so a lot of comics are are great indie comics out there. Um, you, you know, uh, it's on my mind now because it just got onto the Publishers Weekly list of the best books of the 2017. But uh, Emil Ferris, my favorite thing is Monsters, mm-hmm. uh, is a fantastic indie comic that came out earlier this year. Um, that's, you know, a color pencil on lined ruled, nice. uh, paper. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Um, and you know, I just love books like that where you can see the artist just dripping from the pages. Mm-hmm. Um, too. it's fantastic stuff. Yeah. Again, I love, I love seeing that, that person's, uh, personality is coming through in yeah. the art style and, and the words of the graphic mm-hmm. novel. I don't like always, you know, having that sameness at all. Yeah. 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 And, uh, entrenched dogs is, is a book that I originally found at small press expo two or three years ago, whenever, uh, we first started doing this. Um, and it was just a short indie comic. Um, it's it's a it's a watercolor comic that is almost all but wordless. Um, that is about World War One, and in it he anthropomorphizes all of the different nations that fight in there. Um, so the, the the British are dogs, the, the the Germans are pigs, Russians are bears, French are ducks, and uh, a few others that mm-hmm. escape at the moment, but. Um, uh, but the 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 kind of the beauty of it is just that you you kind of start in the trenches you get to see uh the kind of misery that all these soldiers live through and you know one will kind of get up and he'll do a charge and maybe he gets shot and then the narrative just picks up from from whoever else happened to be on the battlefield and they move on. Nice. Like um, maybe a person gets, gets killed and then you start following the person whose job it was to go and, and retrieve body parts. Or maybe there was a person who uh, got an order and then you follow them as they, as they go and, and deliver a letter to another person right. elsewhere. And you just get to watch this, this, um, this battlefield, this whole war kind of develop and the background gotcha. of a lot of it. Gotcha. It's awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to see yeah. uh, this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm such a big fan. You know, I was talking to Charles Ardai, who does hard case crime and, oh, yeah. you know, talking to him about how that imprint came together. And as soon as I saw you posting about this, I felt, well, I was like, that there's Gary. There's another person that I know is passionate about this thing. And yeah. to see you kind of cultivate your own like 
canon, you know, your own, <laughs> you know, the, the Naval Institute uh, Press's own kind of uh, library of graphic novels, just to see you kind of doing something similar to what he was doing. And I know that type of passion that you bring to it. It just excites me to, to see what's, what's coming around the bend. Um, let me ask you something. So we have yeah. about a year before mm-hmm. it officially launches. What what work is being done? Is it just, you know, going through everything with a fine-tooth comb and, and, and checking off on, on the stuff that's going to go uh, to the printers? Well, uh, it's there's some of that, yeah. But a lot of what I'm doing now is primarily um, working on the things that come out afterwards, right. come out in 2019. Right. Um, two or three of those books are completely finished, and they are on their way are they're going through the the production uh, process now so like the people are proofreading them and and um you know they're going to start getting laid out and designed and all that kind of stuff a few others are still being a few others are still kind of like at the very last tales of, of being drawn but um uh, for the most part i'm largely done with with that fall 2018 right. uh so i'm i'm kind of uh, elbow deep into what's coming out in 2019. Yeah. What is so? I, I imagine that the new world that we're talking about, you know, progressivism and and the 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 new um, milestones that the industry goes through. I imagine even before graphic novels were on the table, that Naval Institute Press was aware of kind of moving t- towards more electronic, digital, Kindle um, formats, oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent. So. so is this how you're approaching it too? You guys are, are are aware that there's you know this multifacet, you know there's a smaller print production and then of course a more a larger digital distribution. Is that how it's going? It's well a little bit a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, gotcha. um, because we at least as far as tr- traditional print goes, it still beats out electronic publishing hand over fist good good um and there's it's a it's a bit different in the comics world it's a bit different in graphic novels um because they have some other platforms that are a bit more um a a bit more i guess user friendly like comiXology platform is great and you've got a, a million comics at your fingertips um so that's that's definitely stuff that we're still we're pursuing we're going to make sure all of our books get up on there um but uh, you know i think ebooks ebooks were the kind of thing that everyone expected was going to change the world right. and, and the institute was big on it we were we were very much like we're going to try and do what we can to be uh, you know some of the first people to put out as many things as we can and ebooks are still great there's still lots of people that really love them and they read them a lot but I don't. I don't know of any publisher that's going to look at like their ebook sales versus their traditional book sales, <laughs> and it was like we have to abandon one of these. Kind of <laughs> like, no. uh, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I think that that uh, it, it's amazing. You know, when it comes down to it, uh, I'm still one of these people. This, the, the, you know, there are things that I read digitally, but. I love having something tangible in my hand. I love the smell of the paper. I love, 
you know, for comic books, I love yeah. the glossiness of the pages, mm-hmm. and um, especially for graphic novels. So, like, those are the ones that I still buy a tangible hard copy of, and I'm glad that you have that that mindset. That uh, oh yeah, you know, not just not just from a from a, a business standpoint, but that that you know the medium is going to have a place on a on a on a shelf at a shop, which is mm-hmm. really important. Yeah. Yeah, I actually I want to say I was even surprised when I learned that I still preferred things physically cuz like I, I mean growing up I was like man I'm 21st century digital yeah. boy it's like everything's computers all that kind I of know. stuff and and you know after a while like I, I think when I got my first Kindle and I started reading my first books on it it just was not the same I did not care for it's, it nearly as much it's a we- it's a weird changeover too because you 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 know I'm the mentality and I, I partly know that you guys are too that you come from this idea of co- of collecting it you know collecting yeah. the thing that you're a, a, a psycho fan about and uh, I know that it, it definitely affects me in a way that you know my movie collection my blu-ray collection things that I'm so hardcore into uh, having a tangible copy copy of it and that's the truth about books too like when i got my kindle too it's like you can collect this you know digital file of ones and zeros and you have it in kind of a a pseudo library but it's not the same as this thing that's actually physically on your shelf that you can pick up and flip through and read Mm -hmm. yeah and and, you know i think it, it came into focus for me the most when i when i was reading a particularly long book. I actually want to say it was Moby Dick. I was reading Moby Dick yeah. on, on my Kindle. And for a book that's that long, uh, you never get any of those subtle indicators of progress. Yes. I mean, sure, yes, you could exactly. yeah, you could see that progress bar down there, but exactly. that's nothing. That's right. nothing. Right. Um, there's there's a particular joy in a long book of when you turn the page where where the the mass shifts yeah. from the right hand side to yes. the left side, and you know you're on that downward side, and it's like you're never going to get that with a Kindle. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. So it's just it feels like you're it feels almost Sisyphusian. Mm-hmm. Well uh, said. Yeah. When you're when you're doing it that way, well it's just it's weird. Yeah. Okay. Give me the give me the plugs. Let the people know where uh, they can find you and and the imprint and and anything that you want to kind of pimp yeah. right now oh okay uh you know surprisingly the the website for the imprint is still not up um <laughs> that's that's a it's a weird little over not an oversight i shouldn't say it was something we had anticipated but it was uh there was like a weird little right. last minute thing that came up and it's it's so it's sitting around there so one of these days i'll let you know but it's it should be deadreckoning.org uh, or deadreckoning.com. You can go to any of those. But for now, you can certainly go to usni.org. Um, but you can always follow me at on Twitter at nipgary. Uh, um, that's that's the best that I can do for you at this very moment. But when the books come out, I mean, man, you can find those books anywhere. Um, we are we got people that are going to make sure that those books are in in your local comic shops, in your Barnes and Nobles. Uh, you should be able to get them on, you should be able to get them online, anything. So, so yeah, wherever books are sold, you know, when, um, 
when we talk about this and talking about the Naval Academy and the Naval Institute and kind of my memories, like all my memories of growing up because I'm a Maryland kid are kind of uh, so intertwined with, with Annapolis. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we went to school near Annapolis and, and all of that, kind of like you know seeing seeing it in some t- movies and tv seeing it in patriot games and and being yeah. able to to kind of get back to th- there is not a a more evocative time period in my mind like i cannot separate them maryland and, and autumn like autumn in yeah. maryland and especially in annapolis whenever we we're talking about Tom Clancy and we're talking about the Naval Institute and Naval Academy like that's mm-hmm. that it's it's more than just a um a memory it's it's a feeling you know for mm-hmm. me it's it's yeah. so great to to kind of like revisit that when I'm talking to you about this oh yeah and I'll I'll tell you one thing man like uh at our offices we keep fairly we a lot of people that are in our offices keep like a fairly military time so sure. you start early and you and you like I get into the office at seven in the morning. Right. And that means that I drive an hour from Baltimore to Annapolis uh, to get there at seven. Right. And some days, you know, you walk in and you're thinking, oh, God, it's another day at the office. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I've been a, I didn't get enough sleep last night. Right. But every morning I get to park right next to the Severn River. That's beautiful. And I get to watch the sun come up right in the east, over over the water, right where it leads out into the Chesapeake. And there's there's nothing, nothing like that. It's beautiful. That's amazing. It's yeah. beautiful. Gary, we're going to talk again. Thank you so much for, for, for pimping the, uh, the new imprint. I am really looking forward to it, and uh, we'll talk again about it when, it when it finally drops next year. Oh, thanks a lot. I've been looking forward to being on this show, so I'm glad you finally had me. And we're gonna we're gonna do something else next time. We're gonna do something a little more, you know, whatever. An- another uh, uh, nerd obsession focus. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. Time <laughs> for Speed Racer. Got it. <laughs>